0: Good morning again, and we are we're beginning a new new book this morning. We're beginning the book of John, the Gospel according to John. Where gospel itself means good news. I had a conversation with my son this week. We were talking about the fact that we're born sinners and how we're destined for God's wrath, but there's good news. And I said, isn't it good news that Christ died for our sins, that if we believe in Him, we have eternal life? My son agreed that was indeed good news. That's the root, the heart of the gospel. But also one of the things about the book of John is the book of John is about Jesus Christ, about who He is. And God's desire for Him to be glorified. In fact, the word doxa, the Greek word, we actually get our word doxology from, appears 42 times in the book of James, the book of John, excuse me. Either in verb form or noun form, describing Jesus Christ. The book of John desires that Jesus Christ would be glorified that he would receive the honor and praise that is rightly due him as the Son of God. But when we think about the book of John, and when we think about glorifying God, what we're basically talking about is worship. Now, when we think about worship, when you think about worship, what comes to your minds? And if I polled you, I'm sure I would get varying ideas about what worship really is we are created to worship god because the Astes 311 is he has set eternity in the human heart because man intrinsically knows there's more to life than what is simply around us now there's more to life apart from god men and women will worship they'll worship anything and everything from physical idols to ideas or ideals, or even just themselves. We will worship something because we are created by God to worship. Now, as a Christian, we worship one thing, worship God alone, right? We worship God alone through Jesus Christ alone. But unfortunately, even for Christians, there are many misconceptions about worship. Many see worship as a thing that you do on Sunday mornings at a particular place at a particular time. You go and have a worship service. In fact, many would say you haven't worshiped Christ if you haven't been to church and worshiped. Now, worship is corporate activity, but it's more than corporate activity, and it's more than just a building. Remember, when I was younger, I was reading about the German blitz over London and how the Germans were dropping bomb after bomb on all these old cathedrals, and I was young I wondered, well, why didn't God do something to stop them? Well, then as I got older, I realized that the church is not a building, it's the people, it's the body of Christ. Who cares if the building itself exists or doesn't? The church has not been destroyed. Others see worship as simply a response to God. In fact, you hear this often as a definition. I'm responding to God. But they respond to Him and they say they want to honor Him But the problem is, we can't determine ourselves what is honoring to God on our own. We must find out what is truly honoring to Him. We must find out who He truly is through His revelation, His Word. If you want to know what pleases God, we have to invest the time to find out what He says is pleasing to Him from the Word of God. We can't just decide on our own what we believe is pleasing and what we believe is honoring. Another misconception is that anyone can worship God. And you see this in the broad ecumenical movements that try to bring together Jews, Muslims, Catholics, Universalists, and others in an attempt to find, quote-unquote, common ground but apart from Jesus Christ, God will not accept worship from an unbelieving and hostile heart. True worshipers alone worship in spirit and in truth. But the most common misconception among Christians is the belief that worship is about them. You have the idea, we live in an age where people desire self-expression and self-fulfillment. In their church services. They want to be comforted, consoled, or stirred at an individual or emotional level. Their preoccupation with self-gratification, even it it leads them to measure worship on a subjective level. They believe that feelings of joy, of religious ecstasy, of, of experiencing God's presence are the measures of worship. The problem is, is not everyone has the same experience, and if my experience doesn't match yours' experience, then, then have I truly worshiped if you say you've had this experience? But what it comes down to is, it, it's a me-centered worship. I want to get something out of it. That's why I come to church, so I can get, fill in the blank, I can get, and it becomes a me-centered idea. Well, from the biblical standpoint, what is worship? David Peterson, uh, who happens to be an Aussie, he's written a great book on the biblical theology of worship. He describes worship as this. Throughout the Bible, acceptable worship means approaching or engaging with God on the terms that He proposes and in the manner that He makes possible. It involves honoring, serving, and respecting Him, abandoning any loyalty or devotion that hinders an exclusive relationship with Him. Worship is more fundamentally faith, expressing itself in obedience and adoration. So we worship God in the means and manner that He set forth. Worship is fundamentally about Jesus Christ. He's the center and focus of our worship. He is God's self-revelation, and He's the ultimate meeting point of heaven and earth. He is the decisive point of reconciliation between God and man and deserves our worship. He's the pinnacle of our worship. He's the author, perfecter of our faith, and He's the centrality and focus of our worship. Here at New Community Church, we have the goal to exalt Christ, to have Christ-exalting worship. And that's what John desires to do in the Gospel of John. He wants to exalt and glorify Jesus Christ. And he gives an account of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, because he wants to see Jesus Christ glorified. This introduction to the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking at the nature of worship. We're going to be looking at worship as fundamentally about exalting Jesus Christ. And that worship is engaging with God in an acceptable way. John's goal in the book of John is that you would believe and worship Jesus Christ. He said so, John 20, 31, these things... Have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now I'm not going to be apologetic this morning. We're going to be reading some different passages as we move our way through the Book of John as an introduction. So you have to uh, bear with me, right? After all, we are a Bible-believing church, right? We base our what I worship, our focus, on the Scriptures, the Word of God. So John, first of all, begins by by focusing on the fact that worship is fundamentally about Jesus Christ. Jesus is no mere man. He, we, we, John wants us to see Jesus for who he really is, and that is God's Son. He's the Messiah. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. Other religions say, like the Muslims, the Quran says that he's a prophet. The world says that he's a, he's a good man and he's a good teacher. The Jews deny he was the Messiah, they say he was an Antichrist. But John says he's deserving of glory, he's deserving of worship, that he's the Son of God. And that's what we accept as Christians. He's God's revelation to man and he deserves the glory. If you want to think about the book of John, you could divide the book into two sections. You're reading the book on your own, or you're you're sharing the gospel with somebody, and you say, Hey, why don't you read the book of John? Because the book of John is an evangelistic book. It's written primarily to Jews in the first century you want to have somebody read about Christ and have them understand who Christ is, the book of John can be divided into two sections. The first section is is chapters 1 through 12. and deals with the glory of Christ in His signs. In His signs. John has selected seven signs. He's selected seven signs that point towards Jesus Christ's true nature. And he wants you to see these seven signs and to give Him glory chapters 1 through 12. He wants you to to believe the signs. And then the second section is John 13 through 21 where it's the glory of Christ in the cross and resurrection. So two sections. John's going to be speaking about how Jesus will be lifted up in glory and the lamb of God will be sacrificed and he wants to glorify Christ leading up to the cross, and then its sacrifice of the cross, and then his resurrection. So you have the glory of the signs, glory of Christ in the signs, and the glory of Christ at the cross. Two sections. John lays out witnesses. In Deuteronomy 19, 15, he says there must be two or more witnesses to attribute to something to be untruthful. Well, in John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, he says that there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So John the Baptist was a witness to Christ. In John chapter 5, we see that Jesus' works and his signs bear witness to who he is. In verse 36 of chapter 5, "...but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John." For the works which a father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the father has sent me. John also gives the, 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 the father himself witnesses, testifies to the son. In John chapter 12, verse 27 Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And the voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And so the crowd of people who stood by heard it and were saying that it had thundered, and others were saying an angel is spoken to Jesus. But Jesus answered and says, this voice has not come for my sake. But for your sake, so the Father testifies to the Son, the Holy Spirit testifies to the Son. John chapter fourteen, verse sixteen. And I will ask the Helper, and He will give you. Sorry, ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you and will be with you. And then over in verse 26 of chapter 15, when the Helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, He will proceed for the Father, He will testify about me. So John is laying out witnesses. And then the final witness at the very end of the book, if you want to look at the book end, In John chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, this is the disciple who testified to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John's speaking about himself. So John lays out witnesses. Witnesses. Multiple witnesses testifying to who Jesus is. So as we read and we go through the book of John, we'll see these these witnesses all testifying to who Jesus Christ really is. But Jesus Christ is said to be the Word of God. Verse 1 of chapter 1, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that is coming to being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word of God. He's the fullness of deity in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the total revelation of God to men. Now, the reason He's called the Word is because He's the Logos. He's the Son of God speaks. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is the, is the mouthpiece of God. When you read in the Old Testament, God speaks. That is the second person of the Trinity is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, it is, it is Christ who speaks. We find in John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 that, that, that God, the Son, spoke creation into existence. We have the Word of God, and the Word of God is, is inspired and, and is inerrant, and it is and it comes across through the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is testifying to the Son. Jesus actually says in five, chapter 5 of John in verse 39 that the Scriptures testify about me. Not only is Jesus, He's the Word of God, but an aspect of being the Word of God is He is truth. And truth alone, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him, John 14, 6. The truth, remember, is reality as God sees it. And that reality is bound in the the person of Jesus Christ. He's here because man is sinful. He's here because man is, is alienated from God. In the book of John, he's here because man needs a Savior. The only way there's reconciliation between God and man is through Jesus Christ. Jesus actually says in John 14, 7, If you you know me, you know the Father. In other words, if you know Jesus, you know God. You think about, I like to watch footy. I like to watch sports. Many of you do too. You think about how people wear football jerseys or guernseys. And they they wear the the jerseys of their favorite people, favorite players. And they, they exalt these players, and they glorify these players, and they, they enjoy watching the game, and they, they cheer for these players. But then these players, who are human, do something scandalous. People will take off their jerseys, and they'll be ashamed to wear their jerseys, and they'll even burn their jerseys. Brethren, we should have the desire to know who it is we're honoring. We come and we we worship Jesus Christ, but but who are we worshiping? Because worship is fundamentally about Christ. It's about exalting Him. And John gives us a picture here of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. He's the Savior of Jews and Gentiles alike. He's the Word of God. He's the full revelation of God to men. He's the Lamb of God and the Son of God. And we'll see this as we work our way through John, that John's showing, John's trying to give Christ glory in these signs that we are go through in the first 12 chapters. We'll we each give a picture of who Christ is as God incarnate. So we have Fundamentally, worship is about exalting Christ, but it's about the person of Jesus, but it's also about responding to him. As I've said before, the idea from the book of John or John's goal is that you would give glory to Christ. Glory means to, to praise, to magnify, to extol, to lift him up. Doxa, as I said before, is used 42 times in reference to Christ, to, to glory or glorifying. We have the we use the word doxology. Doxology means to to praise the one you're you're what you're you're honoring. God alone, though, is the one who deserves glory. Flip over with me to Isaiah. Isaiah forty-eight. I want to show you. Sorry, Isaiah forty-two. We'll do that one first. I'll show you a couple passages. Isaiah 42. Remember, this was written to a Jewish audience originally. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. By the way, Lord there is all capitalized. That's Yahweh. I am, I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. I'll look over a couple of chapters of Isaiah 48. Isaiah forty-eight, eleven, to be exact. Isaiah 48, verse 11, "'For my own sake and for my own sake I will act. How can my name be profaned, and my glory I will not give to another?' Look at John, go back to John, flip back over. Right? God will not give His glory to another. Yahweh will not give His glory to another. And in the case of Isaiah, he's talking about pagan idols. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we saw what? His glory. His glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's this this statement would have been shocking to a Jew. Shocking. The Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, has glory. Only God gets glory. Only Yahweh gets glory. Christ has glory. He deserves the glory. He deserves the honor. John is saying that Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. It's shocking, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus alone deserves the glory. Jesus is equal to the Father. We glory in both persons of the Trinity. We give glory to the Son. The Son gives glory to the Father. The Spirit gives glory to the Son. It's a round and round. We give glory to Christ, we glory to the Father through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the tabernacle. He's the temple. He's the meeting place of heaven and earth. Listen, Look back at verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. In the Greek, it literally means He tabernacled. Right? You guys remember the, the Old Testament? The tabernacle went around with the Israelites. And then, and then who built the temple? Right? David gathered all the materials. Solomon built the temple, and God's tabernacle was set in a specific place. It was the meeting point of what? Of heaven and earth it was god's dwelling place among his people jesus is the tabernacle jesus is the temple he's the place that we go and the only place that man can go to meet god he says i am the way right no one comes to the father except by me he's the high listen to this he's the high priest He's the sacrifice for our sin, and He's the temple all in one. And you know what? We become the temple. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we are joined with Him in a, in a union with Christ, and the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we become what? Right, we become the temple. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Says in fact, let me read it rather than just... Anyway, you'll know I'm just making it up. First Corinthians 6, verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one one spirit with him. Verse 17. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body, and now this is corporate, so it's your as in y'all, uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Therefore, For you have been bought, verse 20, with a price, therefore glorify God in your body or the temple. Right? God dwells in us. We don't have to go to a building. We gather together and we worship Jesus Christ. This building didn't exist. We could gather in the parking lot or in the, the brand new grass lawn out there and we could worship as the church. Jesus actually says in John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Right? Jesus Christ is the temple. He's the tabernacle. He's the meeting point of heaven and earth. He deserves our glory. He deserves our praise. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The spirit glorifies the Son, but there are those as we look at the book of James, there will be book of James Book of John, there will be those that, that reject Christ. Look over in John chapter 12, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 42, nevertheless. Many, even of the rulers, believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing Him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved the glory. They loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. You see, when men reject Jesus Christ, it is because of the hardness of their hearts and unbelief. And when we think about glory, men love their own glory. They love it. But that personal praise and that personal glory won't satisfy. Because remember, we're made to worship. Flip over to John 19 for me. John 19, I think you'll find this interesting. John 19, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him with Jesus' body. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they put on a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and slap him in the face. Pilate came out again, and behold, I am bringing him out to you. Now Pilate's coming out to the Jews. The Jews wouldn't go into a Gentile building because they'll be defiled. And Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. Verse 5, and Jesus came out. He he was wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe. and, and And Pilate said, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify, crucify. Pilate says, Take him and crucify him, for I found no guilt in him. And Jesus answers, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was afraid. And he entered into the predatorium, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You have no authority over me unless it has been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has greater sin. As a result, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. The Jews hated Caesar. They hated the Roman occupation. They wanted a Messiah to deliver them from the political restraints of Rome. Here they say, look, at, if, you, if you release Jesus, you're, you're, you're not a friend of Caesar. When Pilate heard these words. He brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And that was the day of preparation for the Passover. And it was the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. It's treasonous their king was was Yahweh I read a book recently I was reading through it about the it's called the pursuit of glory in Europe in 1648 through 1815 and it's about the many expansions of the european nations around their globe and their and their 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 race for glory but that glory was always temporary it's always fleeting Brethren, John calls his readers, he calls you as we study the, this book, this, this gospel to give Christ the glory that he deserves. He's the same substance, same essence of the Father, and he's worthy of worship and praise. And we, we need to humble ourselves, not seeking our own glory, but seeking to glorify Christ for who he rightly is, not who we think he is, not who the world says he is, but what scripture The Word of God says He is. So worship is fundamentally about exalting Jesus Christ. But worship is also engaging with God in an acceptable way. You see, the Father calls worshipers to Himself. Look back over to John chapter 1 if you're at the end of the book. John chapter 1, verse 13. Let's do verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. These, these people, these were not born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but by the will of man, not by the will of man, but by God. You see, God calls true worshipers to himself. We're born of the will of God. And it's our duty in verse 12 to what? To respond in faith and obedience as many as received Him, that believed in Him. And once again, the gospel is true, is is the key to true worship. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." In other words, you can't know God. You can't enter heaven unless you what? Unless you're born again. It's conditional. It's absolute. The gospel in itself is responding to the person and work of the Son in faith and obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's worship, by the way, right? It's belief. That belief is understanding. It's obedience. The purpose of this book, John says, is that you may believe, that you may obey Because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, and He's the ultimate redemption. You know, we live in in pretty turbulent political times, especially in the U.S., and you can imagine all of a sudden one day those who hate Donald Trump and despise Donald Trump and impugn Donald Trump, all of a sudden give him honor that he deserves as By nature of his position. That's how mankind is. Mankind, we in in our unregenerate state, we hate God. We hate the truth. We hate the light. We love the darkness. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Colossians 1.21 says that men and women were, were hostile. We were hostile, alienated, enemies of God. True worshipers must be brought into a right relationship with God for their worship to be acceptable to God. Apart from Christ, who is the light, all of mankind lies in darkness. They won't submit to Christ's lordship, and they are not true worshipers. What does this mean? All the cults? Mormons, Christadelphians, Job's witnesses, right? Unitarians, all those if they're not worshipping Jesus Christ accurately as who He's revealed to be, they are not true worshipers. Because each one of those cults in some form or another deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Can't deny Christ and be considered a true worshipper of God. But For worship, and worship is engaging with God in an acceptable way, this is the means to worship. The means to worship is you must be born again, and that's a means that only God provides. But there's also a manner of worship, and the Scriptures show us what it means to please God. We can't determine on our own what pleases God, right? Right religious activity with the wrong heart is still unacceptable. Flip over to Psalm 50 for me. Psalm 50. Do you remember this from my pastor's comments a few weeks ago? Psalm 50 is a great passage. I was talking about this with my, my wife in a different context not too long ago. And Psalm 50, if you look at verse, let's look at verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. Oh Israel, I will testify against you. I am your God, your God. Do I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. So he doesn't reprove them. He's not rebuking them for their religious activity because they're doing the right thing as prescribed by God. But he says, I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats of your folds. for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. And if I were hungry, I would tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the blood or the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? In other words, they had this pagan idea that, that God needed their sacrifices. They were doing the right religious activity But they had the wrong heart. They believed that God needed those sacrifices. God doesn't need the the animals. We often quote, God has the cattle on a thousand hills. He has plenty of animals. Here's what He wants. He says, verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In other words, He wants the right heart. So you you can... Do all religious, right religious things. You could come to church. You can participate in the Lord's Supper. You can sing a bunch of really good songs. But if your heart is not right before the Lord, it is not acceptable worship. Worship is is a lifestyle. When you look at Psalm 15, who may go to God's holy hill? Who may abide in His presence? Well, the holy hill is Christ. Who may stay in His presence? What is evidence of someone's salvation in Psalm 15? If you look, it's it's a lifestyle of faithfulness and obedience to God. But we worship God in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 4, Jesus lays lays this out with the Samaritan lady Verse 15 of chapter 4, then the woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water. And Jesus has just spoken, by the way, give you context. He says, I am living water. She said, give me some of this water that I may not be thirsty or come all the way up here to draw. And he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered in verse 17 of chapter 4 and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband, and this you have said truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the right place to worship. Now, the Samaritans worshipped in a different place than the Jews. They, they still had a messianic outlook, but they believed that the, that the, that the Messiah would come and worship and would come and lead from their designated spot in northern Israel. And Jesus says, look, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. in other words, right theology is right. The Jews have the right spot, Jerusalem, but an hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such worshipers or for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. You see, the Father is going to call individuals to Himself. He's going to call us, and He has called us. And we worship in spirit and truth. This is the manner. The Spirit is worshiping in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells believers in John 14. John 16, He guides into truth. The Spirit glorifies the Son. And and we worship in truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. It's the full revelation of God. He's, He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of imitation. He's worthy of obedience. So this is the manner that we worship. But we also worship corporately and individually. Individually, our, our whole life belongs to God. It's not just we come together on Sundays and, and we get together and we worship Christ. We worship Christ by our whole lives. Our lives are be a, a sacrifice of praise. We're to worship Jesus Christ in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit draws our attention to Christ, causes us to respond in thanksgiving to Christ as we worship Jesus Christ with our lives. We worship Jesus Christ with our lives by our, our obedience, right? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Jesus' commandments aren't burdensome. God is glorified. John fifteen eight. Jesus prays that they would bear fruit, and he says that his disciples and, and by extension us that we will glorify God when we bear much fruit. That's individually and corporately we the manner of worship is, is together in union with him. He is the vine and we are the branches and we are all interconnected. My neighbors have a have a have a have a vine of a, a Of sorry me, of of grapes. And it and it twists and it turns and and you and you look at all the different extensions and you you trace it back and it's a really thick trunk. It's been there a long time. Jesus is the is the he's the vine and we are the branches. We are the extensions. We we receive our life from him. Right? We don't do things on our own accord. We we point back to the to the main section of the vine. The body of Christ to, to use another analogy, like Paul says, we're all interconnected. We're his body, we're in union, we're in, we're to be inseparable from each other. But if you think about the purpose of the body in Ephesians 4, it's it's edification and encouragement. So think of it this way, and this is the thing we, we often miss, have this misconception. When we serve each other, when we serve Another part of the body of Christ, it is an abject, is an, is, a, is an aspect of worship. Because worship is obedience and calling us to, to continue obedience and calling us to, to love each other and serve each other. That's an aspect of worshiping Christ. We praise God. When we, when we pray to God. We encourage each other. When we edify each other. As the forever family, we are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. We're giving him glory because he has brought us all from all different places, all around the world, together in a local body, and we glorify him because of that. We're no longer what? No longer South Africans and Americans and Aussies. We're what? We're one people united in Christ. We worship God in the manner that He sets forth. So saw a video not too long ago. Um, I don't even remember what church it was. But in this particular church, they had uh, a part of their worship where they had a bunch of Star Wars stormtroopers get up and do a little dance. You know, I can tell you, biblically speaking, that that's not acceptable worship. Activities that are, that are meant to entertain us are not worship. We're not the audience. There's only one person that's the audience, and that's what? Jesus Christ. We exalt Christ. We engage with, with God in the, in the manner that He sets forth, and He sets forth a manner of order and respect and reverence. Paul lays this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, God is a God of order. We worship in spirit and in truth. It's not subjective. It's objective. We we worship the one who we're to be exalted and who's to be focused on. That's Jesus Christ. Again, the book of John as we... Go through this great book, John is calling for you, calling for us to glorify Christ. We're going to see this over and over again. Call to honor him. John tells us again the purpose of his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31, so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, or sorry, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you believe? That's the first question. Do you understand your condition apart from God's saving grace as a as a sinner, born that way, destined for hell? You understand that you have to believe Jesus is who he says he is. He's the the Christ, he's the Son of God, He's the only means of salvation. Do you believe that His cross is sufficient to pay the penalty for your sin? Because if you're a sinner, you deserve punishment. You deserve God's wrath. You're under God's wrath. God's a holy God, and we're sinners. We deserve His wrath. But Jesus bridged that divide with the cross. You see, John desires Christ to be glorified. He wants him to receive honor and praise as a member of the Godhead. He, he shows the signs, the glory of the signs in John chapters 1 through 12. And he shows the glory of Christ in his cross and resurrection in John 13 through 21. This is worship. Worship is that we respond with our total beings to the person and work of Jesus Christ As the ultimate revelation of God, the ultimate redemption of God, and we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, we exalt Jesus Christ. We exalt Him in the manner that He sets forth through the means that He has set forth. I'll leave you with this. John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being, and into being that has come into being. The very first passage in all of Scripture is John chapter 1, even before Genesis. Genesis says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then, Genesis chapter 1, first passage in all of Scripture is John 1.1. Then John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was with God. The Word came to earth and dwelt among us. And then in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True and Righteousness. He judges and wages war and his eyes are like the flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with the robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Same word that was in the beginning with God. The same word that in came God incarnate. Same word that died on a cross for our sin is the same word that will return in glory. He's going to return in glory. Let's give him glory now. And that is John's goal. That is John's purpose. That you believe you give him glory. Brethren, give Christ glory. Worship him. Worship him for who he is in the means and manner that he has set forth. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we exalt you this morning. We praise your name. Lord, we see from your word just all that you are the word. You're the revelation of God to men, and we give you glory. We know that apart from your grace, we would not be your child. That we would be destined for wrath apart from your calling your salvation. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would worship you not only just as a Sunday morning exercise, that we would worship you with our lives, with our beings. Lord, I pray that those that don't know you here this morning, that they would believe, they would believe that you died on a cross for their sins, paying that penalty so they may have eternal life. Lord, we just most of all thank you We are so humbled as we think of your sacrifice and as we participate even in the Lord's Supper this morning and we reflect on all that you've given so that we may be reconciled to God. Lord, you are the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes through the Father except through you. And we glory in this. We praise you. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.